Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to The Art Detective with me, Dr. Yanina Ramirez. If you like to break the codes hidden in artworks, interrogate the intentions of images and hone in on the historical significance of objects, then you've come to the right place. I'm Chief Inspector on this investigation. I'm an Oxford lecturer, broadcaster and writer, but most importantly, I am a passionate lover of the weird and wonderful world of art history. Every week I'll bring in another image for questioning. To follow my lines of inquiry, you'll want to have the artwork up in front of you. Type the title of the work into your search engine and get it up in front of you. Usually, I'll be joined by a trusty assistant. We've got some big names coming in, so do watch this space. But I also like to have the images all to myself on occasion. So today, I've got myself a cup of tea and I am ready to unpick, unravel and hopefully understand an artwork that I absolutely love first up in the hot seat is a painting that's been making the headlines recently. It's known as the Armada Portrait. Now this this is in the news at the moment because it's just recently been saved for the nation. It's cost £10.3 million, but it will now go on exhibition at the Queen's House in Greenwich, which is very close to Greenwich Palace where Elizabeth I was born actually later on this year. So it's an exciting painting that you know, was in private hands for 425 years. This one, the one that I'm looking at at the moment, is the Greenwich painting. But there were three versions of this Armada portrait made. One of them hangs at Woburn Abbey. There's a cut down version, uh, which just shows the portrait of Elizabeth, which is in the National Gallery. And then there is the Drake Armada portrait, which is the one I'm going to be discussing today. And the Drake one's really interesting. It seems to have been commissioned by Francis Drake himself to commemorate his great success against the Spanish Armada in 1588. And it's coming into public hands because the family have held on to it. It stayed in the Drake family for over four centuries and they're now selling it. So it is important. It is now a very wealthy (laughs) possession of Greenwich Museums. And it's so fascinating because it's the culmination of so much evolution in painting, particularly in portraiture in the Tudor period, all coming together in something that is actually quite flat looking. When you look at the Armada portrait, it's not hyper-realistic. 
we think of Tudor portraits, we tend to think of Holbein, don't we? And those wonderfully three-dimensional fleshy characters that he creates. This isn't like that. It's much more stylized, much more flat in, in as much as even the background, you can see there's a chair, a table in the background, and they're not even shown properly proportioned. Now, we'll investigate why this might be a little bit more, but I want to give you a few basic bits of information. So the painting probably dates to around 1590, and it's over a metre, it's, it's metre 10 centimetres by a metre 27 centimetres, so it's quite big. And it's oil paint on wood panelling, which again, an interesting version of painting that we see coming through the medieval period, as well as idea of painting onto wood. It's important because it's got a lot of messages in this image. Some people say that with Elizabethan portraiture, we've even lost the ability to truly unpick the iconography, the, the messages that are hidden in the image. But with this one, we can go some way to try and work out what it's telling the viewer, what it's trying to show us. I think the first thing to note, of course, is that it is an image of power. We see Elizabeth I in the centre there, and she has got that very recognisable pale face, very regal frontally positioned. And this is interesting, of course, because Elizabeth took a vested interest in her portraiture, particularly as she got older. There's an account by Nicholas Hilliard, who was a miniature painter, a miniature painter to the Queen, actually. And he records discussions with the Queen about how she wanted to be painted. And she talks about the fact that she does not want any chiaroscuro. Chiaroscuro is that contrast between light and dark. She was not interested in the drama that can come out of shadows. Instead, she wanted bright light. She wanted to be shown in perfect light, perfect detail. So he actually records her saying, seeing that best is to show oneself. I needeth no shadow of place, but rather the open light. No shadow at all. That really doesn't sit with Renaissance patterns, the changes in art that are taking place in the 15th and 16th century, where you've got people like Caravaggio who are relishing the contrast of light and dark so much that his art has been described as having tenebrism in it, which is actually really, really dark areas contrasted with bright areas. Elizabeth doesn't want any of that in her portraiture. She's harking back in a way to earlier medieval approaches to to painting, which was that they are symbolic. They are there to be read and interpreted. So she's not shown realistically. Instead, she's there as an icon of power. She is supposed to inspire awe in her viewers. She's being shown as Gloriana, this, this sort of imperial ruler of the seas, imperial ruler of England. And there's a number of symbols in this image that help reinforce that. So she's got her hand on a globe. Could you see in the bottom left-hand corner? Her fingers are actually on top of the Americas. And this is a reference to the attempts to take the New World, as it was being called at that time, and, and really get, get contacts there with for trade, but also for settlement. There's an ongoing battle, which is why the Spanish Armada really takes place, between Britain and Spain for dominance of the sea and dominance of these territories in America. And in this image, she's trying to show that she is this leader of an empire. And that's reinforced too by the crown you can see just behind her left, left arm. That's an imperial crown. And again, it's showing her as a ruler, someone very, very powerful. There's a whole load of things we can pick out of this. So 
let's start off with with these circles that we can see. It's, it's an incredibly symmetrical painting, actually. There's two windows balancing it. The queen is centre. But there's these circular shapes and arches that come through all the way. So the globe is mirrored by the crown and it's mirrored by the queen's ruff. She's got this incredibly elaborate lace ruff around her neck. There's even little circles and globes going all the way around the lace. That's a sign that she is magnificent, wealthy, powerful. The lace that's being shown there, it's so finely worked. Something like that's only going to be worn and owned by by the top of society. So it really is a statement of her, her wealth, I suppose, at this stage. Another symbol of her wealth is that she is dripping in pearls. Look how many necklaces she's got around her neck. But the pearls are all over her dress, her hair. And you can see that they're actually sewn into the sleeves of her garment as well. And pearls, not only are they desirable because they're expensive, they're also symbolic. So in this case, they're symbolizing purity and virginity. We have to remember that by the time that this painting's being made, around 1590, Elizabeth has really used up her options for marriage and, and procreation. She's not necessarily going to have an heir. And she has started to recast herself as the Virgin Queen. This is also important because we have to think about the religious changes that are taking place in her reign. She is a Protestant queen. She is head of the Church of England. And all the way through the Protestant reforms of her brother, Edward VI, but also in her reign, you could see this desire to replace the pantheon of martyrs, saints, the portraits of the Virgin that was so prolific in, in the medieval period with something else. And what do you put in instead of pictures of the, the Virgin Mary? You put in pictures of the Virgin Queen. It encourages loyalty to the Queen, but it also becomes a focus of, of devotion in a way, the Queen as head of the church. So she is also the Virgin Queen, which again is, is being emphasised here with these pearls everywhere. There's other symbols going on as well. So behind her, there's a gilded figurine. It's actually a mermaid. And this could be a reference to the the sort of trading that was going on with the New World, the fact that gold was being imported. She's had this figurine put there to display that she has access to this sort of wealth. But the fact it's a mermaid as well, that's quite interesting because it could symbolise her rival, Mary, Queen of Scots. And the fact that the Queen is turning away from it could mean that she's turning away from the threat of rival claimants to the throne. And that really brings us on to the historical context of this image, because you could see through the two back windows, the Spanish Armada. This is about the attack of the Spanish Armada, the fleet of Philip II of Spain that attempted to bring an army over to England to conquer it, to conquer England, to put Mary, Queen of Scots on the throne and to really bring about a culmination to simmering tensions that had existed between England and Spain from the death of Mary, uh, Bloody Mary, um, the her sister, Elizabeth's sister. Under Mary and Philip, England had been a Catholic country again, despite the changes that Henry VIII brought in. They had returned to Catholicism, and that was not a pleasant affair. That's where she gets her nickname Bloody Mary from, because lots and lots of people were killed in this religious realignment. But with Elizabeth, a uh, transition back to Protestantism, and this does not sit well with Philip. It also is not particularly um, good for Philip and Spain 
that England has been developing increasingly strong bonds with the Low Countries, um, Holland, uh, this area that traditionally England traded with very freely. They had been part of a wider Spanish empire, but they'd managed to break away from Spain and were forging very close links with England, both politically and economically, continuing to trade with them. Also an interesting thing is the style of this painting is quite like Flemish manuscript illuminations. Maybe we're seeing this this contact with the Low Countries coming through in the style of the painting as well. But what's going on dramatically outside this window? Well, this is the in, in on the left hand side. You can see English ships. They are at the point of attacking the Spanish Armada. And on the right-hand side, this is where it gets really dramatic. This is a moment known as the Protestant Wind. What a brilliant title, huh? <laughs> this You can see it's stormy, it's dark. The waves are, are very aggressively smashing the ships. This was the moment really that the Spanish Armada failed. This was when the winds changed and um, it allowed the English fleet to um, really move the Spanish Armada all the way along the coast, sort of chase them along the coast. And ultimately it saved England from this conquest. They did not manage to arrive. They did not manage to bring the Spanish army into England. And it's all thanks to the Protestant wind. So it's been held up as sort of almost divine intervention. It's worth noting that this painting, the one I'm looking at, the, the Drake version of the Armada portrait, has been overpainted probably in the 17th century. And I think those two landscapes, that were seascapes rather, that you can see through the window, they've been touched in. The earlier version, or the, the other version, the Woburn portrait, is much blockier. The colours are um, much more defined, so you can really see the influence of, of the overpainter, I think, in those, those bits of the painting. But they still are showing the same scenes during the battle and then the culmination of the naval battle. And there's a lot of implications for celebrating what happened during the, the routing of the Spanish Armada. It wasn't a total success. And this image can be read as propaganda on the part of the Elizabethan court. Although the Armada in 1588 was uh, sent away, it did return the next year, the year after that. They didn't succeed, but they continued to harry the English seas. Also, this question that the defeat of the Spanish Armada suddenly opened up England as head of a new empire, that, that suggestion of Elizabeth's fingers pointing towards America on the globe, that never really materialised. By the time Elizabeth died, she still hadn't created a proper English empire abroad. She hadn't capitalised on this defeat of Spain particularly well at all. The symbolism here is also that she's turning her back on conflict, on drama. The stormy window is behind her, along with that gold mermaid. And this idea that she, as she goes into the later years of her reign, doesn't want to be associated with rival dynastic claims, and she doesn't want to be associated with war, violence, fear. The placing of her body in this picture, I think, is quite significant. She's looking towards the sunrise, the 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 sunshine of her reign. That the fact that her her whole reign is bathed in glorious sunshine, Gloriana. I could spend forever discussing the portraiture of Elizabeth, particularly this one, the. Um, Armada portrait, it is such a fascinating insight into 
a reign that we, I think, from this historical distance, tend to think of as successful, long, largely peaceful, but actually was right from the off, very tumultuous. Elizabeth was under direct attack by a vast proportion of her own population. She was excommunicated by the Pope in 1570. So she really had a sword of Damocles hanging over her. At any point, she could have been assassinated. She did not have large numbers of her own people behind her. So hers was a reign that was underpinned by uncertainty, by fear, and by constant conflict abroad. She tries in her portraiture, and the people that paint her try in their portraits, to show solidity, stability, something to cling on to when perhaps things really are quite unstable. So this portrait can be unpicked for how it, how, you know, stylistically, obviously it's quite flat, it's not hyper-realistic because she wants to be shown as an icon, something almost spiritual, not of the human realm, but of the divine. It can be interpreted for um, the different symbols that are inside the image, the pearls, the globe, the crown. But historically, it's also very significant. Not only does it depict a historic moment, this great sea battle, the attack of the Spanish Armada, something that comes to captivate the English imagination for centuries. It also shows us about wider problems underpinning Elizabeth's reign, wider issues in succession, who's going to come after her, what she's come from, this long Tudor dynasty that she is a, an important part of and possibly you know, the, the culminating part of. It's a wonderful portrait. I'm so pleased it's going to be available for the public to see it. It's been in a private house for 425 years and now it's going to be hanging in the Queen's house in Greenwich and all of you can go and visit it. I hope you've enjoyed picking this painting apart. There'll be lots more to come. As I said, I've got some really exciting guests coming up and we'll be exploring everything from the world of classical mosaics right up to cutting-edge contemporary art. I'm very grateful to History Hit, who are the brains behind this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, do subscribe to the podcast. Do sign up to follow me, perhaps on Twitter. I am Dr. Yanina Ramirez. We could follow me on Facebook. And I look forward to bringing you many more podcasts in the future. Thanks very much, everyone. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.